Is that loud enough? Uh, Mom wants to be picked up at around 6.55. She got the last bus. All right, so good evening, everyone. Good to see you all here, and uh, thanks for coming out. And um, today I'm going to share a little bit about uh, from my life and experience, my testimony, and what's going on with me these days as well. So um, before I start, I'd just like to pray. Father in heaven, thank you for Northbrook and for the family that we have here, Lord, and thank you that we can know you through your son, Lord, and, and for his sacrifice on the cross. We thank you, God, and I pray that tonight that you would guide my thoughts and words, that it would be uh, edifying and also glorifying to you, Lord, and um, that you would help me in this, and uh, pray in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so if you want to open up to Luke 15, I'm just going to read a familiar uh, portion of scripture from there, and that'll get us started. Uh, I guess I don't really need to open it because I printed it on my notes. <laughs> All right, so uh, Luke 15, starting in verse 11, this is a very, very, very familiar to us. Uh, it says, Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got uh, together all that he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. He went and hired himself to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, how uh, he said, how many of my father's Hired servants have food to spare, and here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him, and he ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. So in a parable, that's me and that's all of us. And... Um, I think as we go forward, if you keep that kind of story in mind, it'll probably, there's some uh, parallels. And uh, so I can thank God that I don't have to be worthy to be called a son, like it says in verse 21. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. I think um, that's true of me. I, uh, if it was just about me being worthy and qualifying myself, I wouldn't make it. And that's true of all of us, of course, but... Um, as we go into it, you'll see what I mean. So um, I was born into a Christian family, um, as you know, my parents, and we grew up coming here for the most part. Uh, there was a, I think we went to Grace before, but um, then we came here since like I was pretty young still. And so I learned the Bible through Sunday school here, and um, 
when I was still very young, I think I might have been younger than six, uh, I remember being led in prayer by my mom to ask for salvation from the Lord. And so I don't know if I was truly saved at that point. Honestly, I just don't know. Um, I remember fairly clearly accepting that God is real, and I remember accepting that the Bible is true very early uh, in my recollection, um, but just based on you know, the experience of how I grew up, I don't, I don't know if that was salvation. Uh, Romans 10.9 uh, says, if you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved future continuous tense. And, you know, I haven't read any systematic theology books on soteriology. Um, We only have one systematic theology book in our apartment. Uh, And honestly, I think it's it's more complicated than sometimes maybe we give it credit, right? It's the study of salvation, right? How people, uh, what the details of salvation are. Um, I guess it it doesn't really matter at this point, but... um, you know, when, when, a, when a child prays in that simple way, that's, that can be enough and that can be salvation. But uh, salvation itself is simple, but how it works out in life can be complicated, I think. And so, um, you know, I personally believe that someone can profess faith and maybe God can, like, schedule salvation into their future. Because, you know, God can work in their life from that point onwards. Um, and maybe that was sort of like how it was. First uh, Corinthians 1.18 says, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God, present progressive tense. Uh, I'm kind of shocked, you know, we always talk about I got saved, but it's almost never past tense in the Bible. Anyways, so it was never foolish to me, you know, the, the message of the cross and the gospel, but um, one thing that helped me with uh, accepting all of that, accepting God, uh, in a sense, is uh, Answers in Genesis and the work that they have done to bring a a scientific defense of the Christian worldview. And that impacted me when I was a teenager. You know, when I was very little, I just accepted everything face value, and then as I got older, um, I was quite a reader, and I read a lot even uh, when I was a young kid, I read a lot, like way, way above my grade level. Um, and then that continued. So, you know, I was reading these books by, uh, that we bought, you know, when answers came by. And um, that helped me, that helped me uh, to kind of have a firm worldview. I, had a, I have, still have a very firm worldview about God as the creator and, um, and connected to that, you know, the work of Christ, so. um, But what troubled me was kind of like, I think Ray Hanna put this the best that I've ever heard, he had too much faith in his faith. That was me too. I had too much faith in my faith. I thought it was like a battle of willpower that I had to win somehow against sin, basically. And so I struggled a lot with sin. Um, Despite my worldview and what I knew and, and believing that I was saved, you know, I really, really struggled with sin, and I couldn't have victory over sin, and I found that really, really difficult growing up, and that, uh, yeah. So I'm going to read a little bit from this book. It's The Green Letters. I think this is a pretty good devotional book. Um, 
And so this is uh, just a little excerpt from a guy named Watchman Nee. So he says, um, God's way of deliverance is altogether different from man's way. Man's way is to try and suppress sin by seeking to overcome it. God's way is to remove the sinner. Many Christians mourn over their weakness, thinking that if only they were stronger, all would be well. The idea that because failure to lead a holy life is due to our impotence, something more is therefore demanded of us, leads naturally to the false conception of the way of deliverance. If we are preoccupied with the power of sin and with our inability to meet it, then we naturally conclude that to gain victory over sin, we must have more power. If only we were stronger, we would say, I would, could overcome my violent outbursts of temper. And so we plead with the Lord to strengthen us that we may exercise more self-control. But this is altogether wrong. This is not Christianity. God's mean of delivery means of delivering us from sin is not by making us stronger and stronger, but by making us weaker and weaker. This is surely a peculiar way of victory, you say, but it is the divine way. God set us free from the dominion of sin, not by strengthening our old man, but by crucifying him, not by helping him to do anything, but by removing him from the scene of action. And I think that's what I didn't understand uh, kind of growing up. I really thought it was like a battle of willpower and like faith was like the force in Star Wars. Like you just had to like, <sighs> like try really hard and then you could not sin. And so that's why I'm not convinced that uh, I didn't really get the full picture. But I believed in parts and I grew up accepting of many things. But uh, eventually the, the continuous temptation and failure and, and corruption led me to not really identify as a Christian, and that really darkened my thinking. Um, so, you, you know, you can't identify as a Christian if you are living in sin, right? You know that there's something wrong. And so that happened to me. I think that happens to quite a number of people based on talking to people, um, uh, a lot of them my age who grew up in the church and uh, believed in God for a time, uh, but that critical step of identification doesn't happen for different reasons. Um, so you know like the song, the, the kid's song, like the hokey pokey, right? You put your left foot in, you put your left foot out, you put your right foot in, shake it all about. Okay, uh, so there is no such thing as a hokey pokey Christian, all right? You are either two feet in or two feet out and committed and sold out for Christ or else it's the ejection seat, like, get out of here. like. Please, not, not like, you know, um, leave. <laughs> you know, that's, that's, that's just true. There's no hokey pokey Christians. There's that level of commitment that has to happen or else something else is going to happen. And so for me, I could see that, you know, in, in being in that circle was really hard. And it was just like kind of like a legalism thing or a willpower thing and it wasn't working and it, you know, it just grew difficult and at a, as I grew up it came to a reckoning point. I was trying to figure things out as a young teenager and um, I couldn't escape my worldview. I was too firmly rooted in that so I couldn't walk away from it. But uh, you know, I searched the scriptures and uh, I read the Bible quite a bit you know, growing up as a kid and a teenager. And so these are vo some verses that impacted me during that time when I had that, you know, darkened thinking. Um, so, Revelation 3.16 says, <clears throat> I'm t talking about the Laodicean church, 
I know your deeds, that you are neither hot, cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. So I you know, read that, thought about that. Um, and I also read stuff like in Ecclesiastes, um, Solomon saying to himself, come now, I will test you with pleasure to find out what is good, but that also proved to be meaningless. Laughter, I said, is madness, and what does pleasure accomplish? Um, and on. You kind of know how Solomon, he decided to test uh, basically like sinful ways and see if there's any uh, lasting meaning, basically. But basically, like you know how um, Satan can misuse scriptures to attack people. Right? This is something that happened to Jesus. can be misused, and it's, it's often misused, you know. Uh, that's how, like, bad doctrine happens. People basically just misuse the scripture itself. And um, so basically, you know, in, in that time in my life, I, I was reasoning with myself, and I was like, okay, no more hokey pokey. It's not working. Um, this is, uh, you know, it's kind of driven by my selfishness at the time, and I, I was kind of uh, like, I think all, all teenagers are kind of angry for some reason, and kind of selfish, <laughs> and so, you know, I was kind of motivated by just like bad emotional, emotional state, and so I was like, okay, well, um, you know, I can't do this Christian thing and be the hot kind of Christian that God wants, so I'm just going to see if I can be cold and God can spit me out. And so I'd like made a conscious decision after, um, at that time, I guess, to basically go and explore sin and um, just like try and get away from it all just to see if I can get myself rejected, basically. And so you can see like how I, I read the prodigal son at first because it's, it's a conscious decision to go and live a wild life. And so in James 1 it says, but each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. And so I firmly believe in the truth of that scripture. Eventually it came around to bite me where sin was so bitter and my life was so bitter and I was so addicted to different things, and I was a slave, and I was becoming dead inside. And this really became dark. Life became even more dark. And so like the prodigal son working on that pig farm, I reached the end of myself, and I was like, what is this? Like, where, where have I got to? And at that time, I was working out in Wolfville, and I was, um, yeah, I was completely alone when this happened. I was watching... Bill Nye and Ken Ham debate on YouTube about, uh, you know, the Christian worldview versus uh, evolution. And uh, of all things, you know, it's pretty random, but the Spirit of God can pretty much use anything, like just a single tract, a single verse, single thing. Spirit of God can work. And um, so it was during the question and answer period when Ken Ham basically is just like, all right, enough of this. He gave the gospel. And I just got hit by that, and I, I kind of broke down. I, I cried out to God, and I asked him to save me from my life of sin. And I despaired over my life, and I said, like, 
and my sinfulness before God. I just, it's kind of like in Romans 7 where um, Paul's like, wretched man that I am. You know, we get that word wretch for like an amazing grace. Who will set me free from the body of this death? The image there is like a burden, you know, this body of death that's like you're, you're carrying like this dead body on you and you have just this immense burden. It's awful. And so my prayer, basically the gist of my prayer at that time uh, was like, if this is what life is going to be like, don't really want it. Can I just skip this and you can just take me home to heaven? And I was trying to pray to God and just like, can I just like be where you are, please? And I don't really want this anymore. So it was, it was, that was the turning point. I, I uh, cried out to God in prayer in a very private, very alone, no one was there, confusing moment, you know, for me. And at that time, I felt comforted from outside myself, you know. I didn't, I slept well that night, you know, I, I was comforted from outside myself inexplicably. So maybe that was um, the Spirit of the Lord just ministering to me. And it wasn't like an immediate change in my life, like I, I didn't just like turn on a dime or anything, but from that moment, I think things began to slowly change. As far as I can recollect and understand from my memory of my life, that's when things started to turn around. And it wasn't like fast, you know. Um, my lifestyle didn't change quickly, but it began to. Um, Matthew 19, 26, or Matthew 19, starting in verse 23, says this, And Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I say to you, it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. I say to you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were very astonished and said, "Who, Then who can be saved? And looking at them, Jesus said to them, With people this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. If you had told me that I could be where I am today, like five years ago, I'd tell you it's impossible. But, and of my own efforts, it would be impossible. And no amount of human counseling and, um, you know, therapy could possibly change my heart as much as God has effectively changed it uh, over the last five or so years. And so these days, you know, I really hate sin in my old nature because I know firsthand the truth of James 1.15, uh, that like sin, like the only result that it can have is death. It really does come around to bite. And I'm glad that God didn't spit me out, uh, but did embrace me when I came back from that pig farm. Um, and I just praise God for his kindness, his grace, and his mercy. And Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. You know that word wretch? I identify <laughs> with that. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. Um, so I don't deserve the life I have now. I'm not worthy of anything. It's not me who qualifies, me, uh, myself. And um, the robe and the ring, those are by grace alone, and it's undeserved kindness. And that's, that is my testimony. Uh, when it comes to sin, I lost the battle. Uh, but God won the war, and so that's the past. Uh, that's all the past, and I'm going to talk a little briefly, a little bit briefly about uh, the present and the future, um, and with the time I've left. 
So uh, I'm going to read a bit from Philippians 3. You can turn there if you want. This is a precious passage that we were talking about last night as well. Philippians 3, starting in verse 7, it says, But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I might gain Christ and be found in him, and not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which was through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, fellowship in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained this, or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself to have yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I pressed on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in, Jesus, in Christ Jesus. So, I don't live without regrets. Uh, there is scar tissue, so to speak. Neither did Paul slash Saul, I don't think. Um, you know, when he's writing this, he kind of talks about his Jewish heritage, but no doubt he had memories of things, like when Stephen was killed, I'm sure that he lived with remorse. And so, I think we all do, you know, to some extent. We regret some certain things. Um, but I know that there is forgiveness, and I know that uh, despite the setback, um, that I'm in the Lord's hands now. And there was some wasted time, some wasted resources, where I could have probably been, you know, a fruitful young person. Young people can be a blessing. I could have probably been, you know, like, instead of being a drain on my family, I probably could have been there for someone. Or instead of being a drain on the church, I probably could have been there for somebody. Um, but, you know, it's worth noting, actually, that my family and this church were going through some of their darkest times during the exact same time. I don't think Satan is bad at strategy. Like, you know, it's like a simultaneous attack and everything's, like, collapsing, and you're just like, wow, where do I turn to, right? But, uh, you know, John 1.9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. You know, um, James 5.16 says, Therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person, person is powerful and effective. And I happen to know that people were praying for me. Um, Galatians 6, Brethren, if anyone is caught in any trespass, ye who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself, so that you too will not be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and therefore fulfill the law of Christ. So what can I do with what I've learned? You know, young people, we have young people today, and how can I help with what I've learned to help people avoid the pain and heartache of sin? And can I, can I be part of the body of Christ? Can I be part of this church in a, in a way that's intentional and helpful. Um, you know, I think confession gets kind of a bad reputation because of the way that Catholics have, have, have that, you know. Um, but 
there are these commands, there, are, there is scriptural, you know, to have confession, not just for someone to confess to Christ, but, you know, ye who are spiritual, if, if someone's a healthy Christian, they actually have a burden to help defend other Christians. And so I feel that burden, you know, I am not um, yet, like, ready to be a leader in the church or anything, but to be a spiritual creature, you know, I need to become a spiritual creature and continue growing in the way that Christ wants me to grow, to be a spiritual person, ye, that are sp- ye who are spiritual. And, and then I think I could be useful to the body, and, and um, uh, that's, you know, that's not here yet, but that's, a, that's the road, right? And from another side, uh, there's, like from the pulpit, um, I don't know if people feel like they can talk about sin in Northbrook without being rejected and cast out. I think that maybe back when I was a kid, I was afraid, and I felt like if I had confessed my sin to another, maybe I would just be judged. And you know, when I was a little kid, you know, I'm talking about before I was a teenager. Um, and I think with these things, you know, if you nip it in the bud, it can definitely save a lot of pain. So I just, just some food for thought, I guess. I'm treading lightly here because, you know, I don't know. But, but do people theoretically know how to deal with sin? Is, do we know, like, I know now that confession, like, if I need to be accountable to another Christian, that's good. And I know that, you know, I can be vulnerable and I'm, I'm there now, but that's hard. Uh, that's really hard, actually. It's scary to tell someone, you know, like, I'm struggling with sin. And it's even harder for a kid to do, I think. Um, so I don't know, I just uh, think going on in life that, that I'll keep these things in mind. To end off, I want to read two of my top two favorite chapters to challenge myself to grow and to, um, you know, going, looking into the future, you know, how am I going to live my life? It's not, my testimony is not just what happened, but, um, but what the Lord has in store. And so from Hebrews 12 and Romans 12, these are my top two favorite chapters for... Um, living and for challenging myself. So Hebrews 12 says, therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who has endured such, such hostility by sinners against himself so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Um, there's a lot in that. Uh, first, well, just a few points from that. You could probably have like 20 more. Uh, the cloud of witnesses, you know, my life is witnessed in some way. God knows everything. And this passage indicates that there's also other witnesses. So even how I spend my time privately, it all matters to God. And, um, you know, that encourages me to not waste too much of my time on things that don't have eternal weight. I'm not saying it's uh, bad to just relax sometimes. (laughs) It's not. (laughs) But there is a point where it's too much 
and um, no one wants to witness someone just watching TV for 20 years, right? If, <laughs> if there's people watching, I guess I should probably be doing something more interesting. Uh, and uh, encumbrances and entanglements, you know, sin itself, obviously, uh, but also the worries of the world, some legitimate worries. Uh, but I need to be careful of things like money, things like possessions and entertainment. I think those are some, so the three big threats probably in our culture, in our country, is uh, those things that lead to complacency. So I'm just aware of that. So number two, what is my priority? Where am I going? Where am I leading people? It says fixing your eyes on Christ. You know, we, we heard that actually this morning about um, how, you know, we fix our eyes on their goal. And Christ is the goal to have his life, to live, to live with his life in us, you know. Um, so I can serve him and store up eternal riches. Everything else just burns up. So, you know, keep, keep my eyes on heavenly things. Um, and another thing is uh, the author and perfecter of my faith. That's Christ. And... Um, Hi, uh, I can't really talk ne right now, but Dad's on the way. <laughs> but <laughs> he's on the way, I promise. <laughs> he's right here, but anyways. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's up to God to really shape my mind and my character in the right way. There's no way that I could be so wise to shape my own character and my own mind but I can take God's side against myself and I can be willing and moldable in his hands. It's not like being on a leash. It's, uh, you know, Psalm 32, 9 says, do not be as a horse or as a mule which have no understanding, whose trappings include a bit and bridle to hold them in check, otherwise they will not come near you. You know, everything in, in spiritual life is partnership with God and, and we need to take God's side in everything uh, and nothing really originates in the flesh. So it's just, it's this uh, willingness to let Jesus be the author, to let him be the perfecter in my life, you know, to, in prayer and in faith, to, to give Christ the room and to push out, pick out the rocks, pick out all the other things. And, and every day, just this is an everyday attitude, everyday process. Romans 12 says that, therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Just one point from that, it's the renewing of your mind, of my mind. Uh, my mind has a lot to be renewed from and being transformed it has been a huge blessing. Um, but this is a daily attitude, a daily prayer. It takes time to grow. It takes time to change. From, to transform one, from one thing to another, it, it just doesn't happen immediately f most of the time. Um, you know, it's kind of like packing a lunch every day or buying, no, not buying coffee, but making coffee at home. It's just like a little trickle of effort but eventually, if you do that a lot, like, it, it really has a big effect. And I think it's just these small attitudes um, and living with these. For me, it's been these two chapters quite a bit of just thinking of, of these attitudes uh, that just leads to a big effect 
but it's not really, I find a lot, it's not like a lot of burden on a daily basis. You know, Jesus said, you know, my burden is easy, and I've, I've found that it's just been a blessing, and I, I've, I'm very blessed to have the life I have now, and um, I just praise God for his kindness. It's just mind-blowing, uh, having come from the selfish past that I've had and, and just being able to have a new life. It's really good. So I'll just close in prayer, and then um, maybe we could sing uh, Knowing You is a good one. Father in heaven, thank you for your grace, your mercy towards us, Lord, your patience towards us. I pray that you would help us um, to continually walk before you in a way that's honoring to Christ, and I pray that you would plant the seed of your word in our hearts so that we can grow in faith ever closer to you, Lord, and I pray for this church, Lord. I pray that you would strengthen us and help us to strengthen each other and defend us from attacks of the evil one as a family, Lord. And uh, Lord, I just thank you for my life and uh, for what you've done. And in Jesus' name I pray, amen.